0: I consider it an inevitability that over the course of the production of this podcast, even if we only do, like, ten episodes, I will give everyone all the information necessary to find and come in, Just casually <laughs> dropping personal information. Okay, so... But,
1: that clip is the cold open of the first episode. <laughs> Welcome to the sunday presents a podcast with me kira baloney
0: and me dean buckley the sunday is an independent website we started back in 2017 basically because we used to stay up all night in a mcdonald's eating ice cream and talking <laughs> about films and we thought at some point maybe we should write some of this stuff down which is also uh, the reason the site is called the sunday
1: that was before mcdonald's ceased producing yes. sundays
0: Yes, that in, a, was... in
1: a massive fuck you to us personally. Yeah,
0: it was a really dark day for the brand.
1: So the basic idea is that each episode, one of us will make the other watch a film. One of our favorite films that the other has never seen. Me and Dean have both seen a lot of films, but with surprisingly little overlap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say my tastes are more mainstream. Not that I just watch mainstream stuff or anything. I have pretty wide taste, but I start... At the mainstream and then fan outwards from there i'm a big afi 100 guy a big imdb 250 guy a big best picture guy whereas dean (laughs) dean likes random bullshit i've never heard of (laughs) yeah he'll be like how have you never heard of this norwegian silent documentary about rock climbing it was directed (laughs) by a woman that once shared a lift with fritz lang
0: (laughs) oh god that's so (laughs) at once unfair and true Um, And then,
1: meanwhile, you won't have seen, like, the most famous film ever made.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. A way I was thinking, I thought of a couple of ways to describe the dynamic. On the Sunday, for example, I've written multiple articles that are a variation on the idea that you should watch short films. And includes this whole range of, like, modern and old, avant-garde and mainstream, animated and live-action. And then Kira has written one article on a similar theme, and it's just called You Should Watch Wallace and Gromit. (laughs)
1: Specifically. <laughs> and you should watch Wallace and Gromit you should buy that
0: yeah I, I agree
1: so in in many ways the gimmick of this podcast is I make Dean watch one of the greatest films ever made and then the next episode he makes me watch something you've never heard of or possibly the director's cut of Daredevil for some reason
0: yeah like I'm gonna lay it out there the Daredevil director's cut is gonna be an episode <laughs> so you're gonna have to watch that and you're gonna have to buy the DVD to make sure that you get the director's cut. I'm going to make you physically buy a a copy of the director's cut of Daredevil.
1: That better be available secondhand.
0: (laughs) I guarantee it is. People do not seem to hold on to their Daredevil 2003 DVDs.
1: (laughs) So for this episode I made Dean watch E.T. the extraterrestrial which somehow he had never seen. Which is like like how because it's on tv every christmas <laughs> yeah. on every channel <laughs> it's it's the kind of film that say with like citizen kane which you didn't see until relatively recently yeah it was crazy that you hadn't seen citizen kane but lots like most people i meet on a day-to-day basis have not seen citizen kane right it was just mm. crazy as someone as, as into films as you i hadn't seen citizen kane but with E. T. I expect every single person I've ever met to have seen E.T. Like, it's one of those, like, basic, like, entry requirements to being a person in the world. (laughs) Yeah. And you just hadn't seen it.
0: Yeah, well, the thing about me growing up watching films is I really hated watching films on, not on, like, the television, the device, but, like, airing on TV. I didn't like that they had ads. I would be too into the films. And then annoyed i had to sit through an ad about like putting away money so you can buy lots of stuff at christmas next year or the coca-cola Christmas cornflakes, truck ad. The cornflakes
1: ad i don't know this seems very unorthodox
0: so in terms of like growing up films that i would actually like sit down and watch on dvd and or obviously before D- dvd vhs or ip
1: or ip dvds also
0: kind of yeah to be fair they would be either things that my parents picked out or that i picked out and i just i don't know why my parents never showed me et and i don't know why i never picked et but at a certain point i wasn't sitting down and watching tv that much anyway so i wasn't even I wasn't even like catching bits of it on TV anymore the way that when I was young I would have caught bits of like Gremlins or Titanic which are both films that I didn't sit down to watch from start to finish until I was an adult but I don't remember like any of E.T.
1: That's This is really interesting and I think is in many ways is like our origin stories because I not only would I watch a film on TV I would watch any film that was on TV at any time this difference speaks to speaks to the gulf in our experience.
0: Yeah, I, I taught myself to like movies by pestering my parents into buying me DVDs that I like to look at, <laughs> whereas you're just watching movies all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you please outline your relationship to Steven Spielberg?
0: Catch Me If You Can was one of the first films I watched that I really remember watching and really loving, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Let me see, I watched Jaws three or four years ago. I watched Bridge of Spies because it was on TV while I was at my parents' house one day.
1: Is that any good? I haven't seen it.
0: I mean, it's good and I haven't thought about it ever. Okay. And uh, I saw Schindler's List when I was young and I feel like I was probably taken to see Jurassic Park. What year did <laughs> that come out?
1: 1993, before you were born.
0: I was definitely not taken to see Jurassic Park. <laughs> I think that's probably all the Steven Spielberg films I've seen.
1: Okay. Okay. Just wanted to outline your baggage. In
2: 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial.
1: So, Dean, now that you have seen E.T., the Extraterrestrial, please tell us all about E.T. the extraterrestrial.
0: E.T. the Extraterrestrial is a nineteen eighty-two film directed by Steven Spielberg about a strange visitor from another planet who gets left behind by his friends when people show up to their, I don't know, underground crystal mushroom farm and uh, they <laughs> run away. I think they're
1: just harvest I think they're just harvesting plants. Like one of them just digs up a plant.
0: No, E.T. is digging at a plant, but, like, some of the others are in this, like, underground cave where there are, like, plants with luminescent fronds or something that look like, you know, heat lamps from a... What do you call them?
1: None of, the, none of this comes up in the film. <laughs>
0: no, it doesn't. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, E.T. gets left behind when his friends all leave because the men show up with guns and torches and stuff. He ends up in the shed of a little boy called Elliot in... The film set in California, right? Correct. And... Elliot is this precocious, he's very smart, uh, he's got a smart mouth, Uh, he calls calls his brother Penis Breath in the first half an hour in the film.
1: Can we talk about Penis Breath for a second? Yes. It was nothing like that, Penis Breath Elliot! Okay, so the Penis Breath lore is that the line was added to make sure the film got a PG rating because it was going to get a G rating and in the 80s getting a G rating was like saying this movie is for literal babies. Mm. So Elliot, he, he calls he calls him penis breath, and um, his mom's reaction is great because she's like oh, yeah. laughs, but then she has to be like, don't don't say that, and, yeah, and yeah, kind of yeah. like trying to be stern. But basically, the the thing about penis breath is that that's basically calling him a cocksucker. Yeah. Like Elliot yeah. calls him a cocksucker so that the film could get a PG. Yes,
0: that's I didn't know that story. <laughs>
1: I don't know if that's actually true mm. um, because I noticed watching it this time that Michael says the word shit. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hard to say. So Elliot meets E.T. in his garden shed and there's a bit of a... He gets scared off and then E.T. gets scared off and, but eventually E.T. comes <laughs> to his house after Elliot leaves a trail of Reese's Pieces, right?
1: Yes, c- correct. It was supposed to be M&M's but <laughs> Mars... Thought that ET would scare children, and so which is is actually one of my favorite things about the design of ET is that he's like not cutesy at all. Mm. You know, you would expect him to be either like basically humanoid, kind of like a Star Trek alien, or like a cute fluffy animal. Yeah, kind of kind of like a dog, but he's like he's. He's really odd looking with his like big long head and his weird retractable neck and his squashed little body. Like he's proper Ugo <laughs> yeah. and I respect that.
0: Yeah, he reminds Amazing me of Amazing like...
1: to me that he starred in so many pornos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he reminds me of like a really fucked up monkey that came out of like a radiation experiment <laughs> with no hair.
1: Like if you were designing a creature to be sold as a toy, you would not design E.T.
0: No, no, you really wouldn't. Anyway, after making contact, Elliot eventually gets his uh, older brother, Michael, and his little sister, Gertie, involved. And the three of them have to hide E.T., mainly at first from their mother, though that's actually not that difficult because she's extremely oblivious to what's going on in her (laughs) house because she's really busy.
1: My favorite is when Gertie is like straight up telling her about E.T. and like saying here he is please meet him and she's just (laughs) like that's nice sweetie and like is putting the the messages away
0: and stuff. yeah and the whole like um almost three stooges routine but with no collision where like she's turning around to go get something to put in the fridge and then E.T. is walking past while she's (laughs) oh it's so good spoiler alert I I I I liked (laughs) E.T. As the film goes on, they also have to hide E.T. from the vague and shadowy forces of the government while learning to communicate with him so they can work together to send him home.
1: E.T. phone home.
0: Famously. I was not prepared for the fact that the first time he actually says E.T. home phone. E.T. home phone.
1: Yeah, he does. Nobody
0: let me know that. I was like... (laughs) I was genuinely caught off guard. I was like, "Wait, Gertie's the one who says ET phone home first?
1: ET phone home.
0: That's, that's it's, been it's so a real misled.
1: be me up, Scotty situation.
0: Yeah. Eventually, they're able to make contact with ET's friends, who come back to collect him. And also, their dog runs halfway up the ramp and then just goes back down for no <laughs> reason. <laughs> and that's like the end of the film.
1: <laughs> I really like how it just ends. E.T. leaves and then you kind of expect there to be just a scene at the end that's kind of boring and pointless.
0: Or you skip three months and show how E.T.'s presence in their life has really changed the dynamic in the house and it's like no the alien is gone and so are we. Out of here.
1: End of film. what did you expect et to be because obviously you're you're very aware of et from like the cultural osmosis Mm. so what did you expect et to be like and then what ways was it different or unexpected
0: i guess i kind of thought that et would be like pretty much any 80s children's movie but done like the most excellently do you know what i mean like it wouldn't be particularly visually inventive or catch me off guard with the way it was directed or edited but it would just be really 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 good when Elliot meets E.T. in the cornfield and there's that repeat cut of him screaming (laughs) that's so amazing uh the the jump cut zooming in on his face like before they do the big flying bike bit
1: flying bike, the like shots of like the mist and stuff they're really beautiful. Do you oh, you mean I'm like about?
0: those parallel shots in the back garden where it's almost like a storybook picture? The moon's up high, you can kind of see the corn yeah. in the background. That's, oh, every time that shot, especially, like, there was so much I loved about that shot. It reminded me of a lot of directors I like, first of all, because I love parallel, like, shots being used to create this kind of storybook framing. Like, I love it in Terry Gilliam, I love it in Wes Anderson, even, um, this is a very different film from E.T. with the cook, the thief, uh, his wife, and her lover. <laughs> yeah. But I really love those shots—the way when Elliot went out with his mother and and his, his brother's friends, like the light from the shed is actually dimmer compared to the other shots because you know it's it's not just literal physical light, but like Elliot's point of view on it.
1: Speaking of Terry Gilliam, your spiritual king. <laughs> I recently saw a clip of him talking about Spielberg that made me really mad.
0: That sounds right. um,
1: Where he said that Spielberg films, that they basically give easy answers and make you feel good, but don't make you think. And he was comparing him to Kubrick because you watch 2001 Space Odyssey and you're like, huh, what's up with that? Or whatever.
2: (laughs) Spielberg. And the success of most films in Hollywood these days, I think, is down to the fact they're comforting. They tie things up in nice little bows, gives you answers. Even if the answers are stupid, They're answers, oh, you go home and you don't have to worry about it. The Kubricks of this world and, and the great filmmakers make you go home and think about it.
1: And I was thinking about that watching E.T. because in many ways... I mean, Gilliam talked about Schindler's List and that's just like absurd, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. whatever. If if you're going to make that critique of Spielberg, which people do all the time, yeah, E.T. is kind of the film that they're talking about, right? Mm. Like it's the most Spielberg film
2: Correct.
1: of anything he's ever made. It, it, maybe Close Encounters. though. Like both of those are like the most Spielberg. And in that way, E.T. is like the ultimate refutation of that critique because it's a masterpiece and it's so obviously a masterpiece and it makes this contention that spielberg is like manipulating your emotions or whatever patently absurd
0: yeah when i This is part of the, like, baggage I brought in watching this. I was like, I don't think this is about Spielberg. And I've watched other Spielberg films and never thought that. But in fairness, I have watched mostly, like, non-children's Spielberg films. (laughs) So I guess I wouldn't feel that. I mean, first of all, I find this whole attitude towards film kind of suspect. Because basically, I just resent the idea that a film has to do anything other than make me feel things. I think it's really unfair to Spielberg, at least based on watching... ET to call him like uncritical, unthinking kind of director. The government is fucking terrifying in ET, okay? That's what I'm trying to get at.
2: <laughs> the government is here! Run, ET, run!
0: Ah! I feel like people probably think that like ET cops out on having the government be scary and evil because NASA do try to save Elliot and ET later when they're both dying. Yeah. But for me, that scene is as much about the government being terrifying as anything because Elliot is like lying right there and just telling them how to fix this get him home and yeah they just... he's
1: like he's like screaming that you're killing him the whole yeah. time he's he's very distressed
0: like he's not in it that much but the main scientist guy uh, I kind of don't know the character's name but I think the actor's called Peter Coyote which is amazing yeah
1: the character doesn't have a name so people usually call him keys for like most of the film you just see the keys on his on his waistband that's how he's like identified
0: yeah and for the record can i just say the keys such a brilliant choice because you see them when he's putting on the suit and then you can hear them all the time so even yeah when you cannot tell who the hell is in the suit you can hear who's in the suit perfect brilliant choice I thought that the actor who played Keyes was really great. I really loved when he overhears the kids talking about their dad and the tears are in his eyes and everything. Yeah. But but the thing about Keys is that he is a continuation, not a refutation of the early sinister way that the government is presented because he sounds so nice and he's just still not listening and not helping.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Elliot says... E.T. came to me and he's like, he came to me too. I've been waiting all my life for this. And it's like, cool, you've been waiting all your life to fuck up your only job. You've been waiting all your life for first contact and you're just going to let the fucking alien die. Cool. Well done.
1: Did you know that E.T. was going to die? And did you know that he would come back?
0: I did not know that E.T. died. I did know that he comes back because I've seen um, I'll always be here touching the forehead incidentally I thought it was interesting that E.T. says I'll always be here and then touches his forehead not his heart because he's an alien who would not have any conception of the heart being the place where humans regard feelings as residing because that would be insane they're in the brain where every other element of experience lives
1: how did you react when E.T. died then? Were you like, holy shit, E.T.'s dead, R.I.P.?
0: I mean, I was very emotionally affected by it because it's, it's literally just a small child, like, screaming while doctors fail to save, not his pet, obviously, but, like, his friend, while he explains over and over again how to save him. <laughs> and no matter the fact that I knew E.T. was going to come back in some way, and... uh I really thought they were doing a brought back by the power of love thing for a second, I was like, ah, Steven. But then the fact that it's actually the other aliens are physically near enough. He's
2: alive! He's alive!
0: You know when you said speaking of Terry Gilliam? Yeah. I was a hundred percent sure you were going to say speaking of point of view. <laughs> because the whole film is shot at e t and the kid's eye level. yes, and that is like the heart of the entire film. correct? Because you start off with e t and you see things from his perspective. You don't see like high enough up on on the shadowy men who are searching to searching for him. You don't see their faces.
1: That's why Keys is identified by his keys because y- you just see him from the waist down.
0: Yeah, and then it stays at the that eye level even when you're not with E.T. because it is the same eye level as Elliot. And that's that's so important because I know this is a thing, especially nowadays, people say about all sorts of shit and it's not true. But this literally is a film about empathy. (laughs) Like literally, as in metaphysically, it comes to pass that Elliot and E.T. feel the same feelings.
1: Yeah, they have like, like a meld.
0: Like so much of the film is about learning to communicate through the things that we can't express in language. Like, they figure out where E.T. is from using maps and globes and ultimately, like, a map of the galaxy, which are human representations of objective physical reality that would be, like, a reference point for any spacefaring species. But also, like, E.T. figures out what a phone is and how it works because he watches an ad for a phone where he understands through the language of film editing that the two people talking into that plastic thing are talking to each other through it.
1: Yeah, or like he comes up with the idea to build the communicator by reading a a Book Roger's newspaper comic strip.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: In terms of the empathy thing, something that's really interesting is when Michael is trying to explain the connection between Elliot and E.T. to the scientists. And one of them, as an interpretation of what Michael says, says, So Elliot thinks E.T.'s thoughts. Mm -hmm. And Michael says, No, he feels E.T.'s feelings.
0: Yes, yes. What's really interesting to me about that line is the distinction between, like, the scientist hears that there's some sort of mental and emotional connection between Elliot and E.T. and he assumes it must be this intrusive thing. Like, Elliot thinks E.T.'s thoughts is like Elliot's mind is being taken over by E.T. It's the way that, like, a psychiatrist would talk about, like, intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Whereas, (laughs) Michael... Being a kid and having empathy himself and not viewing the world through this, like, paranoid, hostile, sceptical lens that the adult characters in the film constantly display. Even though he doesn't understand it any better and possibly, you know, in terms of the actual, like, what's going on understands it even less. He gets the core of it. He understands that this is something shared, not something, like, imposed on Elliot.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much a mutual connection between E.T. and Elliot. E.T. is kind of, he's in some ways like a pet, but he's also like a brother and a friend and a soulmate and a Jesus figure. And he's kind of all of these things at once to Elliot. And Mm. the parallels between them are like E.T. gets left behind by his friends and uh, Elliot gets. Gets left behind by his dad when he leaves. Or yeah. Elliot's name begins with an E and ends with a T. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there's this this like sense of like these two souls that were alone finding this connection between each other. And Elliot asks E.T. to stay, and the, and they could grow up together. He says, mm. and then. And of course, E.T. can't. And E.T. asks Elliot to come with him, and of mm. course, Elliot can't. And it's just, you know, it's really beautiful.
2: Uh.
0: I got that this was a film, not just sort of in passing about empathy, but like principally about empathy during the bit when E.T. shows up and Elliot's been asleep in the yard waiting for him and he like cautiously shuffles up and then he leaves the Reese's Pieces. (laughs) And it's the way that Elliot... Henry Thomas, for the record, is an amazing actor
2: at his performance in
0: this. I'm obviously coming to this from from an odd perspective because for most people... Like if they watch a Mike Flanagan film like Gerald's Game or Doctor Sleep or The Haunting of the Hill House, they're like, oh that's Elliot from E.T. but I'm watching E.T. at the age of 27 going, oh my god, it's Henry Thomas from the films of Mike Flanagan
1: (laughs) you're the only person for whom that is true.
0: It's so weird seeing the creepy dad from Gerald's Game as a boy (laughs) in that bit where E.T. is coming up to him you know, Elliot does call for his his mother and and brother but after a minute he stopped calling and he's still kind of scared but you can see in his eyes that like he's scared by the situation but he's not actually scared of et he's waiting to see what happens he's curious about it and even before he properly meets et like his empathy for et is really obvious if you ever see it again whatever it is don't touch it just call me and
2: we'll have somebody come and take it away like the dog catcher But they'll give it a lobotomy or do experiments on it or something.
0: Maybe the reason Steven Spielberg doesn't lay it on thick, his skepticism towards the government in this film is because he didn't think he needed it to be explained because children fucking get it.
1: Well, I have often seen E.T. kind of mentioned alongside, you know, Ghostbusters and mm. other films from the 80s as, like, the Reaganite, anti-government trend. But the, the thing that makes that different is that Ghostbusters is like, isn't it bad when the government tries to regulate nuclear reactors?
2: Frankly, there have been a lot of wild stories in the media, and we want to assess any possible environmental impact from your operation. For instance, the presence of noxious,
0: possibly hazardous waste chemicals in your basement.
1: To be clear, I love Ghostbusters. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, this is not an anti Ghostbusters statement, but no. that is the point of view of Ghostbusters. Mm. Whereas E.T. is like, isn't it fucked up when the government wants to experiment on and chop up people that are different? <laughs> people try and frame it as if, like, how can you say government scientists are bad? That must be right wing. But it's like, no, yeah. government scientists have a long history of doing evil things. And E.T. is like, pulling on that tradition the film was it was in part inspired by Spielberg when his parents divorced Mm. in 1960 he had an imaginary alien friend and he said that the the imaginary alien was a friend who could be the brother he never had and the Mm. father he didn't feel he had anymore which, you know, it's pretty obvious how that inspired E.T. Yes. <laughs> and after I read that, I did some calculations, and it it, it turns out that, that Spielberg would have been uh, 14 years old when he had this imaginary alien friend. <laughs> oh, but,
0: um, okay.
1: But nonetheless... No um, judgment. I don't want to, like, overly view the film through through Spielberg's life, mm. but you can feel that it's a very personal film. You know how George Lucas is always talking about how <laughs> someday he's going to make his small personal films?
0: yeah. <laughs> I (laughs) am not holding my breath on any of George Lucas's small personal films.
1: But the thing about Spielberg is George Lucas has this dichotomy between his Star Wars Mm. and his small personal films that he's never going to make. But Spielberg's big blockbuster films are his small personal films. They're just big.
0: Yeah, he just makes big films. That's just his deal.
1: I just want to shout out E.T. getting drunk and watching The Quiet Man. We've all been there. And... (laughs) He watches the the kiss in the Quiet Man, and then and then Elliot recreates it because they have the psychic connection, and it's five stars.
0: <laughs> oh, the whole drunken empathy sequence where first Elliot is just like falling out of his seat because he's <laughs> he's a six year old boy who's just become inebriated for the first time.
1: He's like ten.
0: Is he ten?
1: Yeah, Gertie is five.
0: I don't look. I'll I'll be honest. It's been a long time since I could look at a child and based on their height eyeball their age
1: he's certainly not six years old
0: okay so this 10 year old boy who's getting drunk for the first time and then when before the quote-unquote good scientists show up they literally have elliot freeing all the frogs to save them from being dissected And the teacher is shot in that same from the waist down way as all the government agents until they arrive at the house. It's like,
1: it's one of them parallels.
0: And then the... The staging, like the physical blocking of the kid crawling on the floor into the right (laughs) position so Elliot can stand up and give the tall girl in his class a kiss. (laughs) The blocking of that should not work and it's like perfect. It's so smooth. Like, of course that kid ends up there. Of course Elliot steps on him. (laughs) It's so beautifully coordinated. It's just like the choreography of the scene, let alone like the emotional resonance of this like quiet, sensitive, closed off boy through his emotional connection with this strange being from another planet, like even if for a moment, just like this confidence he has, even if he'd never met ET, he was gonna have a problem cutting up those damn frogs. Yeah. And he wasn't gonna free them until ET came into his life.
2: Uh, Dean. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Elliot says that ET is a boy. Do you think Elliot knows this because of his psychic connection to E.T. or is he gender policing?
0: (laughs) I think that Elliot's connection to E.T. allowed him to experience an aspect of E.T.'s identity that he can only express in human language as E.T. being a boy.
1: I think he was just gender-policing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, actually, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. But I wanted to do a Gordy not answer to see if I could pull it off.
1: He thinks E.T. is a boy because Elliot is a boy.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> it's not just that their feelings are, are being shared. Their identities are being blurred a little bit, so.
2: Oh, Elliot. He doesn't look too good anymore. Don't say that. We're fine. How, what's all this we stuff?
1: You say we all the time now need to check something very important Mm -hmm. which is did you watch the original theatrical edition or Uh, the special edition
0: now of course i have never seen it so i don't have a comparison point but if you're wondering were there guns in it there were guns
1: yay for all our listeners at home the special edition was released for the 20th anniversary shortly after the special editions of star wars and much like the special edition of star wars it it makes cgi amendments that suck and serve no purpose and make the film actively worse and yeah the most famous one is that they cgi out the guns and replace them with walkie talkies like oh no they've got walkie talkies how are you and ellie you gotta get out of this but they (laughs) also like change some of et's expressions Uh... and stuff which is super lame I will say that Spielberg has said that the original version is the definitive version and it's widely available so he's, he's better than than George Lucas on that front
2: you know I tried this once and I, I lived to regret it not because of uh, fan outrage but simply because I was a little disappointed in myself but I got very very kind of uh, uh, overly sensitive to some of the criticism E.T. had gotten from parent groups when like it was first released in 82, having to do with Elliot saying his breath, or, or the guns, you know, with the with the, uh, the FBI or the CIA or whoever the plainclothes people were. And, and and also there were certain Carlo Rimbaldi, brilliant, but kind of rough around the edges close-ups of E.T. that I'd always thought, well, if it, the technology ever you know, you know, evolves to the point that I can do some facial enhancement E.T. I'd like to. So I did an E.T. pass for like the third release of the movie and and it it was okay for a while and then I realized that I had what I had done was I had robbed the people who loved E.T. of their memories of E.T. and I had done that.
1: There's this bit where (laughs) Elliot is explaining that E.T.'s people are coming to collect him in their spaceship, and Mm. and one of Michael's friends goes, Well, can it just beam up? And Elliot says, This is reality, (laughs) friend. And it's one of my favorite line reads in anything ever. (laughs) Totally deadpan, and I laugh every time.
0: Oh, yeah. Henry (laughs) Thomas is so good at, even earlier in the film, this was no iguana. (laughs) like his very serious child line readings are so so good
1: Drew Barrymore does a lot of stuff like that I mean Drew Barrymore who of course plays Gertie uh, Elliot's little sister when they first meet E.T. Elliot tells her that only little kids can see him Mm. to make sure that she doesn't tell their mother and she just goes give me a
2: break (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Drew Barrymore gives perhaps the greatest drunk performance (laughs) by a child (laughs) ever committed to film. Yeah. Which, it helps that little girls that age appear to be drunk all the time anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I love it at the start when she's just repeating back the last thing someone <laughs> said.
2: You know how they say there are uh, alligators in the sewers?
0: Alligators in the sewers. What's the really funny one at the end? Maybe it was a pervert or deformed kid or something. A deformed
1: kid. Drew Barrymore so great. One of, one of the really great child performances in anything along um, with
0: henry Thomas as elliot
1: of course of course
0: and then also john mcnaughton is in this film
1: he's very good yeah but... yeah i know
0: but he's doing like the best generic 80s teen brother but it's generic 80s teen brother like
2: damn it why don't you grow up think how other people feel for a change when
1: et sees the kid dressed up as yoda <laughs> And, and, he's, and he tries following him because he's like, oh, it's a problem. He recognizes him because E.T. is seemingly from the Star Wars galaxy. And then many years later, E.T. shows up in The Phantom Menace. Probably not E.T. personally. But,
0: <laughs> but a member of his species.
1: A member of his species is sitting in the Galactic Senate in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. There you go. Which fucking sucks. It does suck. Lame and ruins E.T. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not star wars et
1: yeah i hate et now dean mm. i have never seen stranger things okay but you once described that show as a personal tribute to Hitler. <laughs> having now seen et does that make stranger things better or worse to you
0: hang on i need to get my exact wording because i need to refute this allegation. <laughs> <laughs> troll f hitler I want to clarify for the listener that what I actually wrote in the article Kira is referencing was that if nostalgic art is so inherently racist that La La Land is fascist propaganda, which is actually literally a thing that people wrote, so don't... Because it's
1: true. Because it's true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then Stranger Things should have been cast down as a personal tribute to Hitler because it is so self-indulgently and like myopically nostalgic i would not generally regard stranger things as being comparable to nazism is my point sure do you mean what do i think about stranger things or et
1: both because stranger things the tv show stranger things which as i said i have not seen very much draws on et and other uh, things from the 80s in its its whole vibe and i think that you're quite an unusual person in having watched stranger things without having seen et yeah. And so I wanted to see how, what, what's, what's the vibe on that.
0: Well, look, I'll tell you this. Watching E.T. did not make me think Stranger Things was better. <laughs> I guess to some extent it made me more aware of just how poorly Stranger Things is using its source material. Because one of the main things that and I did think about this comparison while watching it occasionally. But the way E.T. thinks about what it would take for these children and this alien from another planet to communicate. It's so well thought out and it puts this emphasis on it because it's obviously part of the themes around empathy. You go over to Stranger Things, where at least until the second season, the fact that L, who is Stranger Things equivalent of E.T., which is to say a young girl <laughs> with telekinetic powers, their inability to communicate with L is like entirely a plot contrivance. It's not that there's nothing about communication and empathy in Stranger Things, but It's definitely done more like, this is just a plot obstacle that's going to cause persistent issues for the characters throughout the (laughs) events, rather than, it's like it took that thing from E.T. and has no idea why it was in (laughs) E.T. It never occurred to them that, like, making E.T. unable to communicate is, like, a specific creative choice, because they could have just made him, like, telepathic. I'd also say Stranger Things does not understand what's cool about having a bike when you're young. (laughs) Again, very utilitarian, just how you how the ca- characters get around. And sometimes there are shots that resemble shots from E.T. Like, they do the scene where the kids jump the police line, but Elle flips a fucking car over their heads, <laughs> and they just stay cycling.
1: I will say that riding a bike in E.T. is the coolest thing that anyone has ever done. Just riding yes. a bike, it's just amazing.
0: If you're going to give out to Spielberg for anything, Giving kids an unrealistic expectation of their ability to outrun the police on a bike. (laughs) (laughs) I remember another gentle visitor from the heavens. He came in peace and then died only to come back to life. And his name was E.T. the (laughs) Extraterrestrial. I love that little guy.
1: My my next note here that I have written is um, E.T. as Jesus, discuss. <laughs> this, this is fairly well-trodden territory, Dean, so whatever you say next better be pretty good. Hmm.
0: Counterpoint. E.T. as Moses, discuss.
1: What? How's he like Moses?
0: Jesus was sent down. E.T. was left behind. Oh, yeah. He spends all his time with a child From the culture responsible for separating him from his people. Yeah. And I'm twisting words here a bit. But at the end, he gives that brother a chance to get on board. (laughs) Before they never see each other again.
1: Moses parts the Red Sea and E.T. flies a bike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: On the other hand, he does come back from the dead. (laughs) And has a glowing heart (laughs) that looks like the sacred heart.
0: And can restore life by laying his hands over other people or plants.
1: After he comes back to life, he goes up into the sky. He's like, bye.
0: And he offers the one person who really believed in him a chance to go to.
1: Yeah. Who's that? I don't know. Elliot. But who's that in Jesus' story?
0: I mean, in Jesus, anybody who believes in him hard enough uh, and does good works.
1: I think that's harsh on on Gertie and and Michael.
0: That's fair. Gertie gives
1: him a plant and everything at the end.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Takes it
1: with him. He's like, thanks for the plant. He doesn't actually say thanks for the plant, but he does thank Michael for helping him escape. Mm. And Michael says, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) I think it kind of speaks to Michael's position in the film that, you know, Gertie taught E.T. to speak and she gives him the flower. And Elliot has risked his life to keep E.T. alive and to get E.T. home. And Michael has been helpful along the way also. <laughs>
2: he
1: can drive a car.
0: Not that well.
2: Well, let's get out of here, Michael! I've never driven
1: forward before! So, are you glad that you watched E.T.?
0: I am so happy I watched E.T. I almost rewatched it again immediately, even though it was 3 a.m. when I <laughs> finished it i'm probably going to rewatch it again during the week i'm so mad that i've never seen it before even though i'm glad that means i got to watch it for the first time knowing you know as much as i do about film and being able to appreciate things i wouldn't have appreciated as a child but of course i could have just done that by rewatching it as an adult <laughs> so i really just kind of feel hard done by it to be honest but yes i'm i'm so glad that i watched DT. if for no other reason than to Not that I was avoiding Spielberg or anything, but I haven't watched that many of his films. He wasn't necessarily someone I was currently making a big priority out of watching more of their films, but I'm definitely gonna watch more of them now. I think I will watch Minority Report pretty soon. Okay. Not because because of E.T., but because (laughs) I watched a film that had Samantha Morton in it, so I was thinking of watching some more Samantha Morton films anyway, and this is a nice two birds, one stone situation. My takeaway from E.T. being I'm going to watch Minority Report <laughs> seems like as good an explanation of any as why I have not watched a lot of the greatest films of all time.
1: Well, good luck. Thank you. I hope you enjoy Minority Report. I've never seen it. Uh, it's got Tom Cruise in it.
0: It's got Tom Cruise and Samantha Morton in it.
1: <laughs> I don't know who Samantha Morton is.
0: Morbren I Haven't seen it. Synecdoche, New York.
1: I haven't seen it.
0: Oh my god. Um,
1: These are future episodes. <laughs> Get ready.
0: I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. So, this week we watched one of the most popular, iconic, widely seen movies in the medium's history. And next week I'll be making Kira watch a sad German film about invisible angels featuring <laughs> Peter Falk as himself.
1: From Colombo.
0: The fact that he is from Colombo is very much frequently mentioned in this film. <laughs> Uh, which is Wings of Desire.
1: Until next time, I'm Kira Maloney.
0: And I'm Dean Buckley.
1: The song was Bouche Dag by Alexander Nakarada.
0: And this was a Sunday Presents.
1: And happy birthday to Anthony Perkins.
0: Okay, is that it?
2: I think that's it. See, I think about weird stuff. Like, what would happen if E.T. and Mr. T. had a baby? (laughs) Well, you'd get Mr. E.T., wouldn't you? And, you know, I think he'd sound a little something like this. Ah, pity the fool who doesn't phone home.